Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, now comes the time after we have spoken and we have sung and we have prayed and we have come to your table. Now is the time where we go to your word. And, and we lift these, these letters off of a page and we read them and we sound them out and we think about them and meditate about them and pray about them and preach about them. But the point of all of these words is to direct us toward the living word, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, the Creator and Sustainer of all things. And so, Jesus, as we have lifted up your name, as we have uh, praised you, as we have remembered your sacrifice and celebrated your presence here, Jesus, we ask that we would see you in these written words. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would overcome the barriers that we have between uh, intellectual understanding and what is being said, between intellectual understanding and heart understanding, that you would convict, that you would transform, that you would renew, that you would uh, bring joy, that you would trans transfer to us your heart today through your word. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we pray to you. Amen. We're going to look at just the tail end of a verse uh, today. We're finishing this series in Colossians 1 on the gospel. We're looking at just the tail end of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. Over the course of the last few uh, weeks, um, we have seen that the gospel is about uh, the revelation, the revealed word of God, that, that God revealed to us salvation. That it is the grace of God, that the sovereign God who owes us nothing gives to us all that he can. And that we are called to be faithful servants and ministers in the work of the gospel as a community, working together as a church to see the gospel worked out and, and, and preached in the, in the streets and in the highways and the byways as well as in the pulpit. We've talked about redemption, the incredible theological idea that, that, that Christ um, purchases us, transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And last week, in six and a half minutes, the shortest sermon from Eric on record, um, we talked about who Jesus is and what he does in us and the transformation that he works. Or, I'm sorry, that was two weeks ago. Last week we talked about um, being reconciled what that means, how uh, my identity is in Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at just the tail end of Paul's statement about the gospel. In verse 23, he was speaking to the disciples, calling them to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And then he says this about the gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And this morning, I, I want to just, I want to talk about this, this idea of the proclaimed um, unto all creation. What does he mean when he says that? Now, those of you that know anything about the history of the church, Paul is writing the book of Colossians somewhere in the middle of the first century uh, A.D., 
less than a generation after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, had the gospel been preached to all of creation at this point? No. In fact, it had pretty much just been preached in the eastern Mediterranean. Just a small part. Now, that was probably the most populous part of the world. Um, at the time, there, there were millions of people pe living there. And when we talk about the Roman Empire, people tend to think the Roman Empire, we think of Rome and togas and that whole deal, you know, marble and all this stuff, which if you really want to blow, blow your mind up and all of your ideas of what the Roman Empire looked like, uh, remember that all that white, white columns and pillars and statues and everything, those things were all painted in the ancient world. That we, they're all white now because it's 2,000 years later. And you can barely keep paint on your house for 20 years. Imagine how long you can keep paint on statues for 2,000 years. Um, but the reality was that Rome was not actually the biggest city in the Roman Empire. It wasn't even, it was just barely in the top five. The majority of the population of the Roman Empire lived in the eastern Mediterranean, Greece and what is today Turkey and, and, Central, and uh, the Middle East, the uh, Syria and Israel, that's where the, uh, and Egypt, that was a huge, um, huge population, but most of the empire lived there, but that was not all of creation. That, that was maybe, um, maybe represents a, a, a tenth, uh, maybe as much as a fifth of the population of the entire world, but it wasn't all of creation. So what does he mean there? What is Paul saying when he says that the gospel has been preached in all of creation? And I really kind of, I, I stopped and I, I was thinking about that because my, my instinct to respond to that is to just go, okay, well, he's just, he's just using hyperbole, right? He's just talking about the Roman Empire, right? He's just talking about the world. It's been preached in the whole world, but he doesn't say world. And this crazy thing about Paul, he actually knew the words he was using. He didn't just randomly throw stuff out. If he meant world, he could have just said world. He didn't. He said creation. He had a point and a purpose to doing that. Now, the, the Greek word for creation is ktesis, K-T-I-S-I-S, ktesis. Um, that's a, one of those fun Greek words where they just want, we're going to stick two consonants that don't belong together together just to mess with people. Their, their favorite thing is, to, uh, my favorite Greek thing, by the way, is to put two Gs in a row, and in Greek that's pronounced N-G. Why not? Um, uh, but uh, anyway, so... Uh, when, we are, when we are looking at this thesis, this creation, what does Paul mean? And, and then it occurred to me, as I was looking at he uses a very specific phrase. He says, all creation under heaven. Now that one caught my mind. Now in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. The phrase under the heavens or under heaven is not very common in the Bible. It does appear uh, in the Old Testament. Sometimes um, it, it's there uh, about a dozen, dozen and a half times or so, depending on how you want to count it. But it's a qualifier. It, it's, it's qualifying his statement of creation. Uh, what, what, when he says all creation, and then he throws in under heaven, what does he mean? And and when Paul, when, when the Old Testament uses the word under heaven, the words under heaven, usually what it indicates is a particular situation of creation. In, 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 uh, in specific, 
Something that is changing in creation. So when we talk about something under heaven, one of the, one of the passages in the scriptures that talks about the Amorites, um, who were, were uh, a Canaanite group, um, it's a linguistic group. I'm not going to get into the relationship between Amorites and Canaanites because you all get really boring, but real bored with all the ites. But um, the, the, it talks about the Amorites and how um, they are about to be destroyed from under heaven. They're about to be wiped out from under heaven. And it's looking forward to a situation that's going to happen. And that kind of usage appears very often in the Old Testament, this idea of when something is under heaven, it's talking about something here in the real world, something that we can experience. So not all of creation as in all of the universe or anything like that, but, but here in the real world, here in, our, I don't want to say the real world, the experiential world, the world that we can touch and feel, the empirical world. And it's something that is going to be changing or is changed. Now, Greek has this weird thing with words. Uh, Greek words can have a huge range of meanings when translated into English um, because Greek is, is actually a pretty efficient language. Now, it's not as efficient as Hebrew. Hebrew is efficient to the point of being annoying. All words have three letters. Um, they don't write vowels, verbs. They don't need them. Sometimes they just don't use them. You're just supposed to figure out what, they, what, what is being meant. Um, but Greek is very efficient in the way that it uses words. And when there's a qualifier like this, then we're supposed to look at thesis, the creation, and go, okay, this is, he means something specific. So let's go back and just look at creation in the rest of chapter 1 of Colossians so far, and we'll get a clue as to what's going on. Jesus, in verse, chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus is described as the firstborn of all creation. And we talked about how what he means that is is he's talking about the the um, the he's superior over he is he is uh, he is uh, not not born in the sense that he was created part of creation but rather that he is over all creation as the firstborn and uh, and then uh, down in verse sixteen all things were created through him and for him okay so so he's the power behind creation. Uh, and, and then in verse, uh, as, we go, as we keep going down in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven, or, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So although the word creation isn't there, this idea of the fullness, all right, that the earth, uh, the creation was made to be made full and the fullness of God is in Jesus. And then, um, as we go down, in verse, uh, well, in, in verse 19 and verse 20, he reconciles all things. Well, creation is all things, right? Um, and then, and again, and as we're going, verse 23, it says, uh, he has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now, I wouldn't take a bullet for this, um, but the way that I read Paul here in this moment what he has set up in the preceding passages, all the passages we've talked about in the last um, six weeks, what he has set up is this idea that Jesus um, is the creator, right? You're with me so far. Therefore, he creates us new when we come to faith. Now, I'm not making that up. Paul says that a lot. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, um, 
he makes this statement. And you don't have to go over there. You can if you want, but you don't have to. All right. Um, He makes this statement. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new ketesis, a new creation. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, he uses the term again. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, he says, um, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul believes, and and because I'm a pointy-headed fundamentalist, I happen to believe this too. Um, Paul believes that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, God, Jesus, the Son of God, created you new. You are a new creation. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that God, God the Son, Jesus, takes primary action to transform you and create something new from you. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God formed man from the ground, from the dust of the earth. He took something that was there and he created man. And God is creating something when you come to faith. And if we read this word, this catesis here in Colossians, not as speaking to all creation as in what we see, but rather um, that he is speaking in all creation as in all those things which God is, or Jesus is creating, all those who are new creations in him. In other words... God is making something new in us. God is making something new through us. Uh, God is making something new by us. That Jesus, as He creates us, He is working us, molding us for a purpose and a function. Just like he created man in Genesis 2 for a purpose. Just like he created woman in Genesis 2 for a purpose. We are being reborn as believers for a purpose. And the gospel being proclaimed in all the world is us, the new creations, speaking to the old creation the words of the one who wants to recreate it. In other words, God, in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and things happened. Well, in the church, God creates us and we are His words for the world. We are the proclamation of the new creation. We have a responsibility and a role as believers to work in the work of the gospel of the new creation. Um, Right now I'm listening to an audio lecture because that's what I do for fun. Um, I listen to audio lectures from college professors because I'm a nerd and I I accept it. Um, But uh, I I am listening to a a lecture that is is presented by a, a literature, Bible as literature professor in a secular college. 
and he's talking about what the Bible says. Now, that's fascinating for me to be listening to this guy because one of the problems I'm going, no, 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 what? Um, you know, uh, but one of the things that he points out is he talks about Genesis and he talks about the great connectivity, uh, the, the way that, that man is created, is connected to creation. And, and this is a biblical thing. Um, when, when we read that in Genesis chapter 2 that God creates man, the, the word uh, man is Adam, um, and, uh, and when he creates man, he creates him from the earth, the ground, the ground is Adama, right? They are the same word in Hebrew, um, but Adama is feminine, uh, Adam is masculine, um, and then when he creates woman, all right, uh, he changes the name and he calls the man Ish, and then he calls the woman Isha. Um, again, connected. They're all connected. And then he talks about when we die, we go back to the earth. So Adam goes back to Adama. We go back to being the dust of the earth. There's a, a deep connection to creation. And in Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul talks about a great deal of how creation groans waiting for us to finish the process of being recreated in Christ. And there's a whole lot of theology we could get into. But I, I want you to, to, to kind of grasp onto this idea. Number one, you are as special a creation of God. You as a believer are as special a creation of God as the laws of physics and relativity and quantum mechanics and celestial mechanics and biology. You are as special a creation as anything else in the universe. In fact, you might even be more special because that was created and sustained by God, all right? At the beginning, Jesus actually actively intervened in your life to recreate you. Now, that does not mean that Jesus was waiting around for you. I can't wait to create Lee. Words Jesus never said. However, when Lee came to a point in his life, and I'm just picking Lee because he's in the front row, um, when Lee came to a point in his life where he put his faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus recreated Lee. He made him new. He gave him new life. He, he gave him a new spirit. He gave him new eyes. He gave him a new mind. He needed a new brain, but, you know, <laughs> right? Too much hockey. Um, but God started to work in him. He started to work in you. He started to create something special. Now, I want you to, to note that Paul does not say, um, proclaimed one day when you become the creation that I've created you to be. He says it's proclaimed in creation under heaven now. Uh, years ago, I did a series where I called, I, I talked about fragments. I talked about the church as the fragments the shards, the, the pieces of the kingdom of God scattered through the world. Um, and this idea that God is, is working in us and, and he's recreating us so that we can be the message of God to the world. Not one day, but right now. You are a special creation right now as a follower of Christ. And God is going to continue the creative process in you through your life. 
Because, and I'm going to go back to this thing. Jesus sustains all things in creation, right? He is the fullness of God, so he has the power of creation. And he reconciles all things in creation to himself. So he is at work in you. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? I think Paul reached a point where he went, okay, so this is who I am. God wants to use me. God wants to use me somehow in my creating, being created state. He wants to use me to touch the lives of other people and begin the process of creation. If a church abandons the responsibility of the gospel or replaces the responsibility of the gospel with um, the methodology of business, if the church takes its responsibility to share Jesus Christ, to share the new creation, if a church takes that and reduces it to a formula, a plan, an idea, a concept, a manipulation, a guilt trip, whatever you want to call, whatever is going on, we fail at the purpose we have been created for. I grew up, um, and most of you know this story, some of you know this about me, but I grew up in a very fundamentalist background. Uh, My sisters were not allowed to wear pants. They were not allowed to wear makeup. They were not allowed to have their ears pierced. Um, They were not even allowed to know that boys existed until they were 18. Uh, my, my parents, my, my dad came up in a very, very conservative tradition. Now, by the time um, he met, uh, uh, he went to the church that he's in now, where he's been for 30 years, um, uh, by the time he got there, he had mellowed out a little bit. So Tom doesn't remember the ultra-fundamentalist part of him, but it was definitely present. Oh, he had mellowed out by the time he got to Grace. Yes. <laughs> my, my dad is an extremist. I love him dearly, but when I was a kid, he was often gone because he was at protests um, where people were trying to stop the church from doing things. All right. he was, he was a, he's a redeemed hippie. Um, lost his hair as soon as he got saved. God, God had a vengeance for him being a long-haired hippie. Anyway, um, but, the, uh, but, but I grew up in a very, very conservative uh, background and then, and then, um, and so I, I tended to think that the purpose of the church, as I was growing up, the purpose of the church was to be right about everything, to have an answer for every question, you know, and, and for people to just accept that because we were the church. Um, I grew up in a very political background. My dad went to Liberty University before it was Liberty University. So those of you who lived through the 80s who remember the moral majority and Jerry Falwell and all that stuff, my dad was part of the crew that were packing the envelopes that were being mailed out to everybody to get them to be super, super uh, conservative, uh, liberals left, conservatives right, I can never remember, um, the religious right. He was way over on the religious right. I grew up in a world where that was what it meant to be a Christian, to be extremely to the right as, a, as, a, as, as in your politics. Um, I grew up in a, in a church, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I grew up in a church where we would often do the Pledge of Allegiance, the American flag. 
Now, you'll notice up here, many Baptist churches have an American flag and a Christian flag. Where did the Christian flag come from? It came from trying to balance the stage because you already had the American flag up. That's literally where it came from. Uh, that's why it looks just like a, an American flag, just with the colors different. Um, but I grew up in a church where often they were unfurled, and you were supposed to say the Pledge of Allegiance as part of your worship. And my response to that is, you will find that our flags are out in the, in the foyer um, because I... And this is just me, and I don't mean to offend anybody. This doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but I just believe that a country's identifiers don't belong on a platform devoted to Jesus. Um, now, I'm American. I'm a patriot. I love America. I love what we do. America, I just pronounced it weird. Um, I, I, love, I love everything about our country. I love our freedoms. I love, the, I, I love our freedom to disagree, which we seem to have lost in the last 20 years. Um, but, but I grew up in a society where that was what being a Christian was about. Being right, having the only answer, and expecting everybody to, to respond to you as if you had their only answer. But what I find in Scripture is that our purpose is to be the agents of the transformation, the transformative work of the Holy Spirit, creating people new. Bringing people to a place where they know Jesus well enough that their relationship with Him transforms who they are. We call that being reborn. We call that being uh, saved. We call that being redeemed. That, that people meet Jesus and they accept Him as who He is and He begins to make them who they're supposed to be. He gives them new life. He transfers them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He recreates them. Uh, he awakens their eyes and their hearts. The Holy Spirit works in them so that they're able to receive the things of God he, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Jesus constantly says, he who has ears, let him hear. It opens our ears that we might, we might hear the word of God. The gospel is about that transformation. It is not about always being Right. It is not about, and this sounds weird coming from somebody whose entire job is to stand up and talk to people, but those of you that know me know this well enough, know me well enough. It is not about having the answer to every question. The gospel is not about a formula for successful life. The gospel is about recreation through the work and word of Jesus Christ. So often people think they gauge a church's value by how cool the sermons are, how aggressive the programs are, um, how hot the band is. Uh, the pianist, by the way, my favorite pianist and vocalist in the world, is my wife, uh, 23 years today. Um, we're officially, you don't need to clap for her, not for me. But we, we've officially crossed the threshold where I've been married longer than I was single. Um, that, that should give you a clue as to how old I am. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 and Nicole is amazing, all right? She's, she's extraordinary. But if you're coming to church to hear Nicole sing, you're coming for the wrong reason. If you're coming, if you're coming for the program, you're, we as the church, we're called to be agents. The word... We are called to be the creative, recreating word, the agents of the gospel to the world. 
So we need to be that. That's all. We need to be that. You say, what does it look like? All right, Eric, we're ready for you to give us the answer. One of the greatest things about having another Eric in the room is nobody knows whether I'm talking about me or I'm talking about Eric Wittenberg. Um, But all right, Eric, tell us what to do. I can't tell you what to do. I'm not the one who's recreating you. Jesus is. So when Mike Trask comes to me and says, man, my eyes have been opened to the homeless in, 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 uh, in Manchester, I don't sit there and go, well, I don't know, Mike, that doesn't really fit into my plan for you. I had other plans. Um, I really appreciated you just, just following my strategy. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. When people come and, and they say, well, the, God is, is moving me to, to touch people in this life. The church is not about recreating all kinds of ministries and programs so that we can be an all, a, a, a one-stop shop for everybody's spiritual needs. But the church is about the people of God, the recreation of Jesus, manifesting the gospel and the creative power of God into a world that is dead and needs to be saved and recreated in His image. And so what's our job as when we come together as the church? Our job is to load up on the Scriptures, load up on the Spirit, load up on the truth, and then go. And then go. Uh, can't we just make them come to us? I was in, when I was in college, the big thing was the attractional model of the church. The church should attract people. I don't see that. In fact, I see the exact opposite. I see Paul talking about, hey, by the way, when you follow Jesus, you're going to suffer. That's not very attractive. I see Jesus saying, you want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me. And people going, "Mm, nah. I see Jesus pushing people to the edge of like reason at times. I see uh, people who... um, Share the good news of Jesus, not because it's attractive and it's cool and it, don't you want to be, but because they've been recreated by God himself and they want others to be a part of what God is doing. The gospel is not about what we want. The gospel is about what Jesus is doing. Our, our actions as a church are not about what is best for us, Our actions as a church need to be what is the best way that we can manifest the hope and the work of God's new creation, the gospel, in everything we do and say. I'm going to end with this. I promise. I went through the other day and I did an inventory of all of my Facebook friends who went to college with me. Now, I went to a Bible college where there were two majors. Major one, you were going to be a pastor or a missionary. Major two, you were going to marry a pastor or a missionary. (laughs) Tom is nodding because this is absolutely accurate. The society, the culture that we lived in pushed everybody into you were either going to be you know, you weren't truly one of God's people unless you were a minister. I mean, you, you were kind of a second tier 
But it, pastors were what God really wanted, and then people to pay the pastor's salary were necessary. So I guess you can go be a businessman from time to time. I went through and did an inventory of the people I went to college with, and then I went through and did an inventory of the people that I taught when I worked at a Christian school. Unfortunately and sadly, less than a third of them total are active Christians today. Now, I'm not saying that they don't still believe the Christian thing, but the vast majority of them, it's like, well, church isn't just for me, or the church hurt me, or the, you know, there's, there's an endless list, and a lot of those church hurt me complaints are valid. What happened? What happened? I would conjecture that we lost our focus on the gospel. That, that being productive or being successful in whatever Christian endeavor you were in was the priority rather than the gospel. And when we fail in our efforts to do a Christian thing or whatever, we sit there and we go, well, you know, Maybe this isn't for me. Uh, I have a friend um, who was working on staff as a pastor at a church, large church. One day he just got called in by the executive pastor and was told these exact words, you're not bringing in enough people to justify your salary. And they fired him. You're not, you are not bringing in enough people to justify your salary. Now, the odd thing was that he was the children's pastor. We have a word for people that drive around and collect children. <laughs> pastor is not it. Get yourself a white panel van and some candy. It's not. You're not bringing in enough people, we can't justify your salary. My brothers and sisters, that is not our job. Our job is to preach the gospel. And yes, we should see people come to faith. The Baptist tank, baptism tank should be used. All right? We should be seeing that happen. But our job is to live out and preach the gospel and see new creation happen wherever God chooses that new creation to happen. So if that new creation happens on the street with Mike giving somebody a meal who hasn't eaten in a week and he has an opportunity to share the gospel and then six weeks down the road the guy runs into somebody else who hands him a Bible and a year down the road he winds up at a rescue mission and he hears a message and finally he comes to a point of faith? Mike did his job. Mike's job was not to pin the guy down and get him to give a profession of faith that moment. But our job is to preach the gospel. Nicole was telling me about a, a lady. All right, one last story. Nicole was telling me about a lady who's now at the lighthouse who went by the name, what was her name? The lady that you met. Wolf, right? She said she was a wolf. All right. She's not anymore. At the, at the Hope event. Right, a Hope event. Sorry, I got that wrong. Strike that previous statement. Um, Nicole said and talked with her. Heather talked with her. Gave her a Bible, right? Tell the story of the Bible. <laughs> Tell the Bible story. That's why I married you. Tell the Bible story. Um, I was just getting out of a 
be the gospel. You never know when God will, will start the work of creation. So be the gospel. Preach it, live it, be it. As a church and individuals, you never know. Wherever you are, God is trying to do a creative work. Let's pray. The psalmist said, God, he asked you to create in us a new heart. And we constantly need your creative work in us because we, we degrade, we break down, we're human. But you have called us to be your word, your message, your truth, your messengers in a world that needs the message. Not of the church, not of organizations or programs but of the very real power of the Holy Spirit that you work in him and through him to transform and renew and revive help us Lord to be the gospel to proclaim it to be your creation